Welcome to the Athletes in the Arts podcast, hosted by Stephen Karajinas and Yasi Ansari. Hello, everyone. I'm Stephen Karajinas, along with Yasi Ansari, and welcome to the Athletes in the Arts podcast. We have an exciting new year lined up for you, so we are really excited to get right into this. But first, if you happen to like our show, we would really love it if you could find some time to leave a review and make sure you subscribe to the show as well from wherever you get your podcasts. If you want more information on Athletes in the Arts, our mission, contact information on one of the many different organizations involved, or if you need some educational resources in performing arts medicine, please go to athletesandthearts.com. So our show today is digging into the world of filmmaking. Now, if you have any streaming subscription at all, such as Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu, you may realize that we are in a golden age right now. Now, most folks think this refers to television in general, and there is some truth to that. But for my money, I think the documentary form of filmmaking is having its shining moment. Never before have so many excellent films and docuseries and TV shows been produced about many important topics, historical events, political upheaval, stories of courage and personal triumph, true crime, and of course, athletes and artists. So we have in our show today, Marius Mark Kavishis, a prominent documentary and feature filmmaker. His new film coming out now is Thug Rose, a documentary about the famed UFC strawweight champion, Rose Namajunas. Her career is legendary as one of the top pound-for-pound fighters in the whole world, and Marius goes behind the scenes to capture her training, her fighting, and performing classical music on piano. It's pretty amazing to see, as she is a top-flight musician already, and you can see this for yourself. The trailer link for the movie is in the show description. Marius also made The Other Dream Team, which is a documentary film in 2012 that focused on the Lithuanian Olympic bronze medal-winning basketball team in 1992, whose story of perseverance and success amid political strife in a war-torn country fighting for its own independence would have been the main story that year, had the NBA not sent their own dream team to Barcelona. So let's get into the interview. Marius, thank you so much for being on our show today. We really appreciate your time. How are you feeling today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Um, I, have a, I have a big trip actually ahead of me tomorrow. I'm uh, flying out to Europe, to Austria for uh, uh, my next project, uh, some filming, and then to Lithuania for actually the premiere of, of my film, Thug Rose, which is premiering in Lithuania on uh, February 8th. So a little hectic, a little, you know, pre-flight uh, packing and craziness, but otherwise I'm excited about it because it's all all good stuff. That's amazing. So we, we want to talk about Thug Rose in a little bit, your new documentary coming out, or that is on, the way, on its way out right now. But first off, just talk a little bit about like your journey into film in general. Like how did you get started? Yeah, I always, I mean, I always just love storytelling and writing and, and creative writing, even as a kid, like in elementary and junior high school, something I gravitated to. Um, and then in high school, uh, I started, you know, making little short films on on like video cameras uh, with friends. And I actually had a couple classes at Santa Monica High School. Uh, there was a teacher, uh, Dr. Ford, that um, had taught at USC for a long time. And then he, he took over like the theater and film department at Santa Monica High School and had a couple classes there that really had an impact on me like he would show us on on uh, i think it was yeah, it was laser discs and they would play like big on a big screen films like casablanca or north by northwest and you know really like a critical film sort of classes that i don't think a lot of public high schools have um yeah so no. I'm lucky to have that experience um but then you know in, in as an undergrad I, I i studied business in berkeley and went to the haas uh, business school and was kind of going down a, a, a more business path. Um, but then, yeah, I just kind of always got pulled back towards filmmaking and I started writing screenplays um, and just, you know, studying that craft a lot and then decided to go to uh, back to school, to film school and went to UCLA to get my MFA. And, and that's, you know, I really kind of cemented that that's what I, what I want to do. Um, yeah. And then out of, out of UCLA, um, you know, sometimes it's scary. It's, it's sometimes it's safer and feels better to be in film school than out of it because you can tell people, I'm in film school. That's what I do. That's what I do. Right. When you finish, you know, it's a really hard business and re- a really difficult thing to break into and start. Um, but um, I was fortunate. A friend of mine and became a mentor, John, Don, Jonathan Schwartz, uh, 
introduced me to uh, to a couple other filmmakers and friends, and we collaborated and made a couple uh, very low budget independent films. And I worked on those as a producer, and I hadn't really thought about being a producer, but they were just projects that were ready to happen and, you know, didn't need much money. And we made them. And uh, a couple of those first films uh, were directed by Drake DeRemus, who's had a really successful career. And those couple of those films went to Sundance and, and things kind of really took off there. And the, you know, my passion for film was solidified. One of those films was like, I think like, like crazy, correct? Yeah. That was really independent was, films. I was a co-producer on that. And uh, yeah, that, that, was made for a very small budget and had, um, and that was directed by Drake Doremus, who's still a good friend of mine. And um, it had, it starred Felicity Jones um, and Jennifer Lawrence mm. and Anton Yelchin, who sadly passed away. Um, but that little group, uh, you know, yeah, they went all in on this little project that we were filming with like no permits and, and, you know, sneaking into places and, <laughs> right. And Jennifer Lawrence, I, th- I think she made, you know, like the SAG minimum for like a couple days of filming that she was on. She wasn't even the lead in the, in the film. She was a supporting uh, role. And um, I think her next movie was Hunger Games. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think that was the last movie that she worked for the SAG minimum scale, a couple hundred dollars per day. <laughs> So thank you, Jennifer Lawrence, for that. It's been pretty scary going from, yeah, you got your uh, business degree at undergrad. Is that, is that what you said? Yes, correct. So to take that degree and then decide to go into film, must have been a pretty uh, pretty challenging decision to make. Yeah, I mean, it was. I, you know, um, I started wor- working um, with our family real estate business, um, and I really enjoyed that. And I still actually work on some real estate projects and developments and, you know, enjoy the creative process of, of building, whether it's film or, or, or a structure, I think there's similarities. Um, and I really enjoyed that, but, and, but I was, you know, working in real estate while going to film school and doing both and, um, just, you know, realize that, yeah, that, uh, the, you know, films are definitely a passion and, um, but, um, I still somehow managed to juggle a little of both. <laughs> so you've been involved in documentaries and narrative th- feature films, which do you prefer and, and why? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I, I really enjoy both formats uh, and I've enjoyed switching back and forth uh, mm-hmm. from one to the other. And I haven't, I haven't really had a, a conscious decision of like, I'm going to do a documentary now or I'm going to do a narrative. It's just sort of the path that has, uh, you know, fallen in, before me or in front of me. Um, when, when and how a project sort of uh, takes flight is, uh, up to the gods sometimes, or up to, you know, um, circumstances out of your control. I always have a lot of things in development and I have both in development at all times. Like, you know, and I have a list sometimes of like 20 projects that are mm-hmm. percolating and sometimes one just goes and, you know, the, the things fall into place and, and then it's, you know, a big focus on that. But I, yeah, I love both formats. Um, you know, with, with documentary filmmaking, just, you know, entering a new world, a new subculture and, uh, really diving into it and then being able to kind of, you know, present that to the world and hopefully have people, uh, learn something really new and something real. And sometimes, you know, sometimes reality is not always so pleasant, but, um, sometimes, you know, these stories, you can't write a script like Rose Namajunas, her story and her life journey. I don't think you could, you know, an Oscar winning screenwriter couldn't probably craft such a, um, an arc and a journey. So, yeah, but I, but I also love, you know, diving into stories and creating mm-hmm. things, um, mm-hmm. that are new and, and that haven't been done before and that you have, you know, the flexibility and the f- artistic freedom in narrative films too. So I love, I love them both. So Marius, where does that inspiration for filmmaking come from? Do you just kind of you know, look up at the sky and say, what's the vision today? Or is it you're working on a project and you have like a little notebook with you and you're like writing ideas down? Like, you know, how does the magic come about? Like, how do you come up with the topics that you want to talk about? Is it more through conversation? Are you reading up on the news? I think it's really important for listeners to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think a little bit of everything you just described. I mean, there's definitely a lot of notebooks. There's notebooks like stacked, you know, 
stacked high with um with ideas and and just jotting things down and um definitely trying to stay current and aware on on news and topics um but ultimately like i i know that if i'm going to commit to a film it has to also be something that i'm you know extremely passionate about and mm-hmm. and interested in and so like the the first documentary i made uh called the other dream team that was about it was you know a basketball political story uh about lithuania's independence movement and um how sports played a part in that um it just sort of you know when those kind of projects present themselves you just kind of know that that a lot of the passions are aligning and that this is something that i could definitely go all in on and i have to know that i could spend years on this and sometimes you know a lot of that time is making very or little no money when you're developing it mm-hmm. so it's a huge commitment and and a certain risk in a way um, but you also can't have all your eggs in one basket. So I think, you know, developing uh, a lot of different projects and keeping them going. I do set some certain rules. Like I think that I need to, you know, um, push forward these projects, like some do something for that project at a minimum once a week, even if it's a very early development phase, whether it's push a button here or write another email or a follow-up or mm-hmm. or read a little more on it or do some research or talk to someone who you know might be able to finance it or you know i try to kind of um you know uh, make it a point to to take an action like that as often as possible right i feel like that's also where the business degree kind of comes in it's like it's like you know the, the financial piece of it and then also just thinking about how to set boundaries and how to continue making sure everything is not in just one project but a variety of projects and and continue to build up on on each of these now, do you ever find yourself relating to any of the stories that you create and the artists that you work with? Um, well, on the documentary side, you know, I, I think that I've chosen some projects that are, you know, um, some bigger than life people and think people that have, you know, hit the apex of, of sport and all that. And I think maybe there's a... a a dreaminess of of that that, that I you know I my first goal in life would have been to be a professional basketball player. I was such a, a passionate basketball fan and played so much uh, growing up and grew up in LA and was a, a huge Lakers fan. And Magic Johnson was my hero hero, and I'd write you know twenty book reports on him. And so, I, like making that first film, the other dream team was you know maybe a little bit of a dream aspiration to even just meet and spend time with some of my heroes and. Um, but um, as far as relatability, no, I mean, it was not, not, you, I can't really relate to guys who are gold medal athletes who are stuck in the Soviet Union and, um, you know, living through uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall and communism. And I was just, you know, I was growing up in LA as a kid in LA. So hard to relate to that, but that's also what makes it fascinating, like to want to learn and dive in and, and speak and ask the questions as you guys do in your podcasts. I think it's, it's rewarding to able to um to go through that learning process um and then in narratives there's there's maybe more i mean they always say write what you know in 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 narratives and scripted stuff and uh you know the things i produced um or the the narrative film that i directed um you know there has to also be some kind of connection and um and definitely um there's relatability to the characters. I mean, I think you, we try to, you know, craft a story that's relatable to as wide of an audience as possible, um, you know, to have the emotional connection and to, to go along for the journey. Well, it's pretty fascinating about your documentary for about the other dream team, because, you know, that was a story that was present back then. I mean, I was in medical school at the time when all that was going down. And, uh, and the, I remember the Lithuanian team with their tie dye grateful dead outfits all those were like, oh my God, those are the coolest things in the world. Who are these guys? And yet that was like the, the you know, the what, what Lithuania went through became an example for and helped change the world of sports, it seemed like, and your documentary kind of points out to those issues. But it also resonates with issues today with Ukraine and with other countries from, from 1992 to now, um, you know, Albania and, you know, all these other countries that are struggling like this. But the is it uh, rewarding for you in a way to see how you're, when you tell stories, how, how they kind of hit a truism that becomes repeated in history over time? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know if rewarding is 
is exactly the right word at this moment because you know it's actually um, disconcerting. You know, it's it's uh, sad to me that like I made this documentary, that documentary in 2011, 2012, and you know we felt like you know telling the story about what happened during communist times and Soviet times was really important to tell because it hadn't been told that much or that well in film. Um, and but at that time, I remember when the film premiered at Sundance, there was also there was other uh, world conflicts happening, you know, in the Middle East, and a lot, you know, there was uh-huh. fights for freedom going on that we were referencing during interviews then. And Lithuania felt quite safe. Twenty that would have been twenty years into their independence, and they were really integrating into Europe and joining NATO. But we were expressing concern for other small countries that were fighting for their freedom at that time as as a reference for why that film was relevant then. And then you cut to now and it's come full circle where it's actually like back to Lithuania's doorstep. Yeah. Um, and you know, with, with the, um, war in Ukraine. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just sadly more relevant than ever. And a lot of the topics that are covered in that film, um, and like some of the figures like Vito does Landsbergis, the person who led Lithuania's independence movement, um, you know, over the last 30 years since their independence, he's kept, you know, bringing up the concept of Russian aggression and and you know some of their the the conflicts that they've continued to to cause and people were sort of dismissive of it. I think you know why is he still talking about Putin and Russia? Like the, you know, Lithuania is free. Things are pretty stable and and they're but they're not. And it's become sadly very clear. Um, that uh, that yeah, these things have, are are cyclical in some strange and sad way. What do you feel like the the impact of the other team had on Lithuanians? I know that you um, you shared that basketball was a big piece of your upbringing. I think for you know the fact that you lived in Los Angeles and grew up here, but it sounds like it's a big part of Lithuania's. Um, cultural heritage as well, to some extent, like it was part of their identity, it was part of the movement, you know, did you see any of the impact that movie made? Yeah, I mean, I think it had, it had a big impact out there. Uh, The documentary at that time became the highest grossing documentary in that country of all time. And, um, you know, it, it went on to play many times on TV there and in the film festival. And, you know, we would tour with it and play it in, in different Lithuanian communities, uh, diaspora communities. Like I remember we had a big screening in London and there was a lot of, at that time, a lot of Lithuanians were leaving Lithuania because of not great economics and going to work in London. Uh-huh. And they gathered like 400 plus 500 people in the sold out screening. Um, and it was quite incredible because afterwards, a lot of those people had, left years ago Lithuania to, to work and um, they were so grateful. I mean, a lot of them were in tears and they're just grateful. They're saying like, you know, this film really helped me reconnect uh, and think about Lithuania. It made me want to like call my mom or to go back um, because, you know, you can get so caught up in, you know, trying to make it, make a, a financial gain or to, you know, to do, do the right thing for your career and op- uh, opportunities, which was part of, which is a positive thing too, because Lithuania had opened its door, you know, they got their freedom and they were able to integrate with Europe and have open doors so that people could uh, pursue those opportunities. And there was a huge wave of that, but I think now there's a wave of, of, of patriotism and, you know, um, which I think is also a natural cycle that, that a lot of people got to go and do their thing. And now a lot of people are, are actually going back um, because Lithuania is a thriving small but thriving country and beautiful place and the, the quality of living is really high and so if my film had any you know in a small way just even had some of those people reconnect with their roots and 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 then to show other people who they've become friends with about what their country is about and the values and the fight and the struggle that they've gone through for freedom and for democracy i've had a lot of people say that um including rose and that's kind of how one of our first connections was rose said that she would show that film to her like teammates and training partners as like a starter, like intro on what, what Lithuania is and what her cultural background is. And so that was really nice to hear that it's, it's, it's had that effect too. And we had screenings, we had screenings in Washington, DC, um, political screenings, um, 
with dignitaries. And I, when I was making that film, I never, I had, I screened in the European union, um, uh, the, the headquarters in Brussels for dignitaries. So yeah, it became like a, a bit of a calling card where people could show that to a group and, and they would encapsulate like not only the political history, but the sports history and how basketball was part of really part of the cultural identity, uh, before Soviet times, through Soviet times, and then part of the independence movement. Yeah, wow. Huh. So with your new documentary about Rose, um, is this how you made the connection with her or with, through the movie, The Other Dream Team, or how, that, how did your uh, relationship with her come about, come about? Yeah, well, when I first, I, when she won the title, um, beating Joanna Janjacek uh, in 2017 and became the strawweight champion, um, I had been following her career, but like when she won that, won that belt, I did a little more research on, on her and, and, uh, just read up about her history and her family history and how she got where she was and, and started really uncovering a, a really, you know, fascinating person with a lot of depth and, um, decided she could be a really great subject for a documentary. So I reached out and I found out they were coming to LA and I suggested just to meet and to have a, a short interview if she was open to it, to to help create like a, a basically a presentation reel, like a, you know, a sample of what the documentary could be. And, uh, her and Pat agreed. And I think, you know, she right away mentioned that she had seen my film and that she's, you know, shown it to a lot of people. And, um, and so, yeah, like it, it, it was, a it was a fairly easy connection and intro. Um, and, but they, you know, they took a leap of faith because we were going to make, do a couple interviews with a project that was not financed and, um, you know, that, that takes some trust and faith and right. it, it was, I was fortunate that Rose gave me that chance and, um, we did a couple of those interviews and they went really well. And, and then, you know, it took some time, but then we eventually got the financing and, and we're, we were off making the film. So what is the training like for a UFC star like her? I mean, how much of, of, with an athlete like that, like, what's it like, um, for her in a day-to-day type of schedule for her to be able to do the things she does. Yeah, it's pretty intense. You know, those are high level athletes and they're obviously in a sport that's um, very, it's intense and can be very dangerous. Um, So training is everything, training preparation. Um, You know, there's the period I think between fights where there is some downtime that um, they're obviously staying in shape and, honing their skills, but when they book a fight and then they officially start a training camp, I mean, it then ramps up, you know, tenfold, at least in, in what I saw with Rose's case, uh, uh, that, you know, it's, it's multiple hours of sessions per day and it, and it rotates between, um, between some of the skill sets. You know, right? So there's grappling and so she'll do like wrestling and grappling for a few weeks focused on that. Then, um, and of course, the whole time they're doing uh, the the re- grappling and training, there's 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 fitness, you know, there's weightlifting, there's cardio stuff. Um, then um, then she moves into she moved into a different phase in training camp where she focuses on on striking with her coach Trevor Whitman. Um, so it's yeah, there's a lot of uh, specialty stuff that that goes on during training camp for the UFC fighter. And then what was it like, uh, filming any of the, did you get a chance to film some of the fights? Yeah, well, we were, we were with Rose. The one that we had the most uh, time and access was her second fight against Wiley Zhang. Uh, that Mm. was in Madison square garden, um, in November, 2021. And, um, yeah, that was, that was something The lead up, you know, the intensity of the training camp and lead up to that fight. Uh, you know, you could really, it was really palpable. You could really feel it ramping up as it got closer um, and as it got closer, you know, it was a tough thing with access and, you know, wanting to always be there and film everything, but also knowing that we have to give some space and distance, uh, because they're going into this dangerous event that's coming up and we didn't want it to be a distraction. So her fiance, Pat was really helpful in that, in, in helping knowing when, um, when's a good time, when's we need to give some space and. Um, we were fortunate. They really granted a lot of, of close access. And I think eventually after so much time together, there becomes more of that fly on the wall. You know, we, we, we would try to be as quiet and kind of out of the way and, and try to disappear as much as possible. Um, 
And um, I think that that was successful. And then the actual fight itself was incredibly intense for, it was one of the most visceral experiences I think I've ever had in my career. Uh, first as a sports fan, just like going to Madison Square Garden and being in the tunnels and just the lore and history of that arena, knowing right. that Ali fought there and, right. um, or, you know, New York Knicks championships or, you know, um, the Rolling Stones or Beatles, you know, the history there is incredible. So that was, that was fascinating to just be, be in that arena and having that access, but then seeing, yeah, Rose's preparations and hyper-focus with that, you know, 15,000 or 17,000 people screaming, um, the fights, you know, she was the co-main event. So her fight is second to last and there's like 10 fights before her. And some of the fights were so intense, um, you know, a lot of blood, a lot of intense fighting that happened before. And you see these guys coming back from the ring. They get checked by a doctor. They're, you know, they're a lot of them are quite bloody. And um, some of them, some of them were put onto an ambulance and, and off to a hospital. Right. Wow. Like from the tunnels of Madison Square Garden. And in the meantime, Rose is getting her hands taped, you know, ready to go out there. I honestly had huge butterflies in my, I mean, I was getting like nervous, almost nauseous, like, you know, being that close to all that. And so it's just incredible to see how Rose can maintain the focus with all that craziness going on and to stick to her game plan and to shut all that out. I don't really know how they, they do it. Switching gears a little bit to the, to more of the production side of all this and when you're directing a documentary from the moment you're creating a script until the end of production, especially when you're working with athletes, like, is there, like, do you guys come up in agreement with like the amount of time that you spend with the athlete, like what you're allowed to to film with the athlete? Like I want listeners mm -hmm. to also learn a little bit about what goes on in the background of all this, because you're right there in the middle of all the action. It's like, you know, if something happens, are you asked to like move, you know, are you, are you still in the, the heat of everything that's going on? Do you get to cover all of it? Well, I think once again, you hit a lot of the things right on the head. I mean, it's a little bit of everything. I, I think yeah. that the access sort of I, in, in this case with Rose, it also depends on who the athlete is, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's, LeBron James, you know, it's going to be hyper managed and, and there's going to be a lot of restrictions and, um, you know, there's huge teams of representatives, but like Rose is a very down to earth person. She's a huge star and successful UFC champion, but she's very down to earth. And we quickly created, you know, a good bond and Pat also very down to earth. And, um, um, I think, you know, it just organically, finds itself like like how much access um you, and and you also maybe there's a, there's also intuition um i probably default a little too much to um uh like i don't want to say being shy but like I, I i guess i don't i don't ever want to interfere and um cause a problem because especially in this case when it's a sport and it's a dangerous one you know the journalist side of documentarian uh, documentary making tells you like you got to get in there and you got to push and you got to right. be there to capture everything right and shoot first ask questions later yeah you know let, <laughs> let people get mad at you and sometimes i have done that and um and maybe i'm actually evolving more that direction but um you know uh, yeah i think that in this case it, we didn't have to try very hard it just sort of happened organically mm -hmm. and uh you know, we had a good understanding with Pat and there was some times where Pat's like, you got to get out of here. You got to get out. She, you know, she's right. needs her rest or it's been a stressful day and we would totally, you know, respect that. Um, there's other times where I kind of went for it. Like when she had her, she had this eye injury where they, they thought she had a torn retina. It was in the middle of training camp ahead of that fight with Wiley Zhang. And Pat texted me and told me that. And I was like, you know, first reaction was, oh gosh, I feel terrible for her because a torn retina would not only mean the end of the fight, but it could be the end of a career for a fighter in the sport. Um, and then the second thought is like, I hope God she's okay. But if it is a torn retina, this film is probably over because there, there is no fight that we're following up to. And um, 
I don't know if she'll fight again. And so all these emotions, and then it's like, what to do next? And the first instinct is like, well, we got to go. They were going to go have a second opinion and go to like an eye specialist. I'm like, I got to, I have to be there. I have to film it. And, you know, but at the same time, it's like, you can imagine what they were going through. It's like, gosh, I hate to call and ask, like, are you guys cool if we come in with our cameras, fly in tomorrow from LA to Minnesota where they were and join you for the medical visit? Like, that was a very, it's very uncomfortable yeah. to make, but I talked to my team and it's like, yeah, like they've already, they had devoted so much time already, you know, to this project. And I talked to them and they, they agreed. Yeah. Like this is, this is life. This is what we came out to film. Like, you know, all the good, the bad and the ugly. And so once again, they were, you know, super gracious and trusting to let us come and film that and actually like film the actual doctor visit. So thank God it was a, a, a good prognosis that it was not a torn retina as they looked at it more closely. And she got a, a, a essentially a clean bill of health pretty soon after that. Um, and it was a fairly dramatic moment in the film. So your film also focuses on her skills as a classical pianist and your trailer does a really nice job of using that as a backdrop for the violence that the sport perpetrates. Um, how does she integrate her classical piano skills with her training? Does she, is that a way that she is able to diffuse the stress of what she does? Or is this something that she just does naturally as a recreational thing? Or how did you see her using those skills in her life? Yeah, well, music, um, especially piano, is definitely a big part of Rose's life. Um, you know, the film title itself is Thug Rose, Mixed Martial Artist, and their emphasis on artist, uh, because mm -hmm. she definitely has you know, artistic talents, um, in her, it's in her genes, you know, it's in her blood. Her mother is a professional piano player and studied in Lithuania and then has been a teacher in the United States for many years. Um, and her father was a painter, um, and, and, you know, quite prolific painter and artist himself. So she's definitely an artist and is definitely a big part of her life. Um, I think she def does use it as a form of meditation and, and to de-stress and, um, you know, plays as, as, you know, as a hobby. Um, but I think she uses it for meditative purposes and, and she's so good that, I mean, she honestly, if she decided to make a career switch and become a professional piano player, she could do that. Huh. Like, there's no question, you know, she played the, in that opening sequence, of our film, she plays a piece by Chopin. It's called fantasy impromptu. And from everything I gather, I'm no expert at all in music or piano, but like, it's a quite difficult piece. And when, when she played it and just nailed it and we had to, we did a few, few takes and, but she played the whole piece through every time and just nailed it. And, um, and it was on this big grand piano in this empty theater, this big theater, uh, the Buell theater in Denver and the acoustics were incredible. And all of our team was just like floored. We were like, she really do that and then when we were editing it we were concerned that people would think that it wasn't really her that it was like some kind of like you know movie magic sort of uh recreation right. but it was definitely it was her and uh yeah she's essentially like a, a you know concert level player amazing so beautiful what we heard in the the trailer steve it was just like magnificent mm -hmm. um there's an underlying theme in your documentaries covering real life struggles and challenges of the athletes that, that you're working with. Um, we see their athletic ability on TV, but we forget what they may be going through in their everyday lives. Is there any specific story that inspired you the most with the athletes that you've worked with? And is there anything that you feel comfortable maybe sharing about some of these stories? I know that even Rose, it sounds like she went through a lot of different challenges to get to where she is. And I'm sure even with the other dream team, the basketball athletes, I know that when there's like political unrest going on around you and you're still supposed to be focusing on your sport, it's just so, it's just like a different level when you go out there and you compete, you're taking on not only the pressure of all the people, but whatever you may be experiencing inside. So any specific stories that you'd be open to, to sharing a little bit? with mm -hmm. us yeah um definitely i mean i think that that's you know what makes um these subject matters so so interesting you know it's it's the sports are 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 you know 
uh, inspiring and compelling. But I think when you get to get uh, understand the backstory and the journey and the behind the scenes, I think that's when it, it hits a new level. And, and um, I think, yeah, with the athletes in the other dream team, um, the Lithuanian athletes, yeah, the, I mean, what they went through as gold, they were, you know, gold medal athletes for the Soviet Union. They won in 1988, winning the gold for their oppressor, basically. Four of the starting five were from Lithuania, from this small little country that won a gold. But, but obviously, that was a huge achievement, but it was bittersweet because it was not for Lithuania, it was for the Soviet Union. Um, but to then know, like, what their lives were as gold medal star athletes and how things were not so easy or great or how they had to like smuggle items, uh, blue jeans and, uh, you know, records and aspirin and all these odd things, uh, video cassette players, like during their international travels, they would bring those things back to the Soviet Union and sell them to earn a few, few extra rubles because the amount they were earning as athletes, I remember them telling it was like the equivalent of, of like $200 a month even though wow. they these gold medal athletes, because they weren't allowed <laughs> to pursue any professional real pursuit. Uh, there was no, you know, advertising money. They were not allowed to go to the NBA. You know, Arvidas Sabonis famously was drafted to the NBA in 1984 to the Portland Trailblazers, and he wasn't allowed to come. He didn't come until 1994, uh, almost 10 years later. Um, and so you imagine, you know, the amount of money that he lost or, you know, wasn't able to to earn. And so they... They had to do things in a different way, and it was super fascinating to hear those stories. Um, you know, if you could imagine, you know, stars of art that era, Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson, you know, filling suitcases with blue jeans or, or um, Michael Jackson <laughs> records to sell on the black market so that they could earn a few dollars. Um, so yeah, it was kind of almost absurd, and um, but it definitely was part of their journey and. They were they were you know open to share those those some of those stories, um, but then and then some of the cloak and dagger stuff when the when the Soviet Union was falling and they were trying to pursue the opportunities to come to the NBA and but but there was still a lot of resistance from Moscow and from Gorbachev and there was you know KGB intrigue and all this going on so yeah they 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 went through a lot of of different um, of hardships uh, and then for Rosnama Yunus um, yeah I mean she she went through a tremendous struggles as a child and, and for people who see the film um, it's not, you know, it's, she's talked about it in other uh, interviews before my film. So it's not such a spoiler, but she was, um, she, she sadly was physically and sexually abused as, as a kid. And, you know, that, that left a, a really, you know, a, a, you know, tough mark and, and um, really was a trauma that, she spent many years trying to get over and says that it's still, you know, uh, a struggle and that um, it's not something you get over. Um, it's something that will be a lifelong struggle. And uh, that was really hard to, to talk about in, in the interviews. And I just, I didn't want to, again, press it too hard or push it. I just wanted to give an open format for Rose to tell her story in one cohesive place and to give a, a safe space to do that. Um, and, um, I hope, you know, I hope we're able to achieve that. And I hope, and she hopes that, you know, telling her message uh, will help other people that have been through those same traumas and struggles because uh, she's, you know, she's gone on to have such an inspiring career and uh, just infuses positivity into everything and everyone around her. And um, she has so much emotional intelligence. Um, so I think it's, it's hopefully a helpful and inspiring story for, for other people who may have gone through a similar trauma. Yeah, she is. That's for sure. Um, so speaking of documentaries in general, I mean, I think that pretty much most folks can are really spoiled nowadays by the amount of great documentaries that are available and, and the, the appetite for documentaries. Um, I mean, there's, it seems like to be, it's almost like the golden age of documentaries now for, you know, all the different streaming services and, and, you know, if you can make a good show, good show, you can get one out there and, and people will see it. Um, is there anything that you have uh, that you have an eye on for the future that you want to see more coverage on or something that you want to do as far as other topics in the future for documentary? Yeah, well, I think you're right that the the world of documentary has really, you know, evolved and, and grown and exploded in the last 10 years uh, in a good way. I mean, I think that um, there's there's the streaming, of course, like 
Netflix and Amazon and all the streaming networks have created a, a platform where there's there's more there's more money. I mean, number one, so so there's a lot more opportunity for documentary filmmakers to explore things um, and explore things deeper. I mean, docu series are now you know going more in depth, right. more than just a film. I I will say that in my opinion, for good and bad, because sometimes I feel like there's topics that get stretched out into a docuseries that don't need to be, you know, you don't need to see six or eight hours um, about, you know, the, the certain stories that, that are a little, that are thin and you can then feel like, like this is something that this is a business thing and they're trying to fill content and like, you know, episode two and three recap episode one, right after episode is recapping <laughs> the last one and previously on yeah so it's for good and bad but i'm happy with the direction and and um yeah i mean i have a couple projects that i'm actually in production on now and that's one thing i'm going to austria um there's a it's a really fascinating story about um our subject who's actually a hollywood entertainment lawyer who's 83 and he founded a quite prominent law firm um but he's very much the anti law lawyer he's he's this just really altruistic really interesting guy and he's still working every day but lately he's moved into a pursuit of these various um sort of extreme sport adventures and and challenges um and he's going to try to break an under ice swimming record in basically freezing temperature water he's been training for months in in this lake in austria called lake bison sea so it's yeah, he's just a very fascinating individual. Um, wow. And it's 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 going to go into, you know, um, his life story, but also about aging and how to do that. He's he's doing it very gracefully and very um, – he says that the 80s are his best decade of his life and that they can and should be for everyone. And uh-huh. um, his, like, youthful energy is just incredible. He's gone, like, cave diving in Mexico and – diving with sharks in Bahamas and now it's this under ice. Oh, he does. And he does trapeze every Sunday, um, like literally swinging trapeze and, and like just all these pursuits that, um, keep him physically fit and mentally fit. Um, but it's fascinating because he's not, he's not, a, it sounds like he's maybe like an adrenaline junkie or a thrill seeker, but he's not, he's, he's very, it all has a purpose and it's mm-hmm. all done with a lot of training and a lot of, um, preparation and with with experts and so it's uh it's something that's in the early stages but we're, we're really excited because he's he's just a one of a kind and um and then i have another project about the the belarusian um situation in belarus the uh, uh-huh. their, their freedom movement and we're filming with some of the people that are involved in the opposition movement and um that's a tough situation obviously, and it's being a little overshadowed, not a little, it's, it's overshadowed now. The Ukraine war is, you know, the, the top thing in the news of that region. And there's this small country that's struggling. And they're also neighbors of Lithuania. And that's part of how I'm connected to that project. So those are a couple of documentaries that I'm working on personally. But gosh, I mean, in terms of, of topics, um, I would love to see more coverage of, of what's happening in the Ukraine war. And, you know, there already are some documentaries that have been made, but I think it's, it's very important that the world, you know, is some of it's quite horrific and, and, um, uh, but has to be documented. And I have a lot of respect for filmmakers that go into those areas, um, of danger. And, and, you know, some people say that that's crazy and what are they doing? But like, you know, it, it, they're, they're really heroes because, you know, it's, it's just incredibly important for, uh, topics like that to be, documented and and circulated and so people can be informed around the world well like when, when folks turn a show on netflix it's like they pop it on like they watch it and documentary coverage and not many folks think about like you know someone had to go to that place and film that and be in the middle of all that to be able to show it to people but it tends to become like you know hearing your stories about this is fascinating because you know the, the fear i mean making documentaries without a script and like when having things evolve and having to be in you know, in a fight situation or in a political strife situation, sometimes this can be, you know, the documentary filmmaker can be taken for granted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, journalists and documentary filmmakers are, are heroic in that sense when they put themselves in, in danger, uh, to, to do something that they know is right. And, uh, 
and to, to document it for history. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of stuff out these days that a lot of documentaries are moving. I think in a, there's a lot of that are in a more sensational direction that are entertainment, like, you know, Tiger King and things like that, which sometimes I get sucked into those too, because they're, uh-huh. yeah, they're me bizarre too. and there are certain subcultures. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, as the, as the, as the genre evolves, you know, there'll be all types and I just, it's just good that audiences have a, have a choice and, and have more selection than ever. Um, even if it's a little hard to sometimes weed out the, the, the good quality ones, but um, in general, it's, it's moving in the right direction. So the importance of mental health is a theme we highlight a lot in our podcast episodes. And I can imagine that while the work that you do is so rewarding, um, how do you make sure that you're also taking care of yourself? through all of it what helps you fuel yourself mentally and emotionally like what keeps you going to be able to have that stamina and that energy to keep filming and and learning about these stories and and continuing to keep creating Mm -hmm. yeah i think often the subjects themselves uh give me inspiration you know i think rose is the prime example of that i mean she's just um, she's been through so much and so many difficulties and then has, you know, fought through that and risen to the apex um, and to watch her process and to talk to her about it and to talk about, you know, spirituality and positivity and using positive affirmations. Um, I think I really, you know, learned a lot from her during the course of the film itself. And that when I, when I had some moments of doubt or some moments of my gosh, you know, are we going to get our, financing or are we going to make it through or how long how many more times how many more travels or how many more plane flights do we have a good material like are people going to connect to it then you have all these doubts um and it but you know it's almost like um life imitating art when you're then filming the person who's in the ring saying i'm the best i'm the best you know she's saying she'd have this you know affirmation to herself it's very simple and it's just i'm the best and it she said it it would she just repeat it in a meditative way telling herself because it would help her block out, um, not allow negative thoughts even to enter, uh, into her mind. And, and so I found myself probably literally copying her at times and, and saying like, we can do this, you know, our, our team is the best, like this film is going to be the best. And, and, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's part of the rewarding part of the process and the work is like, you know, learning something from, from the people that you're spending the time with and, who would have achieved the highest level that you can in, in, in the world. So um, just being around those people and, and, you know, studying them and learning from them, I think is definitely part of what has uh, motivated me and, and keeps me going when, when times get tough in the course of a project. Yeah. Well, Marius, I mean, everything that you've shared with us has been just uh eye-opening and and the stories that you've shared with the public have been so exciting um, in terms of like learning about history and and the stories of these individual athletes. Um, Is there anything else that you want people to take away from the work that you do and and you want them to like apply to their everyday lives? Is there anything that you've really learned from the work that you take on that that you hope listeners can take away from this episode? Um, I, th- I don't know. That's a tough question. I think, you know, I think, um, if anything, I've learned through my course of my career, like to, to, you know, definitely, uh, in terms of filmmaking to, to do things and chase things that are, 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 you know, subjects that are your passion and that, that things, if, if you go all in, um, that the cards will fall in the place that they need to, um, that may sound kind of abstract, but I think, um, uh, yeah, like I, I went down a path of, of making films about my cultural heritage because that's incredibly important to me. And um, it's like, you know, so much in my family and in my roots. And from that has led to some of the, you know, more rewarding work experiences. And, and now those things are, are combined. And, um, and it goes all the way back to my childhood. My parents uh, kind of kicking me in the butt and forcing me to go to Lithuanian Saturday school um, while I was saying, you know, why don't I take, you know, uh, Chinese classes or it'll be more useful, you know, instead of learning this obscure language 
of a country of 3 million people that we're not allowed to visit, you know, because it was Soviet times. And, uh-huh. um, but that, yeah, that, that, you know, destiny played itself out that, um, some of that pushing from my parents was, was maybe what I needed or a great thing, but then also finding, finding, uh, my culture in my own way and finding it through film and, and, you know, really, um, you know, heightening, my my knowledge of 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 our cultural background and my love for it um and being able to travel there so so i think uh that's that's just been my individual journey i think it's different for everybody else and and uh but i think that exploring your your past can also help you to guide your future yeah and it sounds like also listening to what you're passionate about so you know, for you, I think in high school as well, right? You shared that you were taking the class that you were taking was focused on short films and you got to explore that at a younger age. And that was something you were passionate about and you kept going with it. So look how far it's brought you and, and look how, look at the impact that your movies have made and will continue to make. And you're also incorporating your cultural heritage and bringing about awareness about such a big issue. So um, I think that you've, You've tackled a lot. So, you know, cheers to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I honestly, I feel like I'm still a rookie in a lot of ways and <laughs> still at the early part of my career. And I think that, you know, like Rose said at the, as at the end of, at the end of our film, that the best is yet to come. And I, I believe in that. And I feel like I, you know, have gained a lot of experience, but I'm keep learning and keep applying it to the next projects. And I think that, you know, um, I'm not a young guy anymore, but I think that, that that's another lesson that I've learned and people can apply is just to keep learning and keep growing and keep uh, exploring and diving into something that, that challenges your, your, your brain and your mind and, um, and good things will come of that. Well, we look forward to seeing your journey in the future here and good luck to everything you're doing right now. Good luck to Thug Rose. Good luck to your future projects and safe travels here very soon. And Marius, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And that's a wrap on this show. Remember, if you like what you hear, please click subscribe and maybe leave a review as well. For my co-host, Yassi Ansari, this is Stephen Karajinas, and this has been the Athletes and the Arts Podcast. Mm-hmm.